You know, when you, uh, you sit and listen to a choir sing that and well, praising the Lord and three, three of the people that I was watching singing were people that have lost kids, their own kids, and some there singing, praising the Lord, who have gone through cancer and things like that, it just, it just adds a, an extra anointing and meaning to me. Yeah. To, we're gonna, you know, it's easy to praise the Lord when, when there's nothing going on. But it's, it's totally different. And I, and I think it's through a lot of those losses and pains and suffering, that's, that's when we come to know who he is and his sufficiency and his grace. And he's worthy of our praise. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Ruth. I want to speak to you on the subject of a portrait of God's providence. A portrait of God's providence. We're in the book of Ruth, and so very quickly let me review the background to set the stage for what we're going to read this morning. We were introduced to a Jewish family, a dad, Elimelech, a mom named Naomi, two sons, Malon and Killian, living in the land of promise, in the fields that God had provided faithfully to them, a place given to them by the Lord, a place of worship and a place of devotion. However, during a tough time, a time of famine, when things become lean and a little difficult, Mr. Elimelech, the dad, decides in pursuit of material gain and financial prosperity to become spiritually passive and decides to leave the fields of promise and to move his family, his wife, and boys to new fields, to sinful fields, the fields of Moab. Within that decision, there was some rationalization. I'll just move to Moab, me and my family, for a short time, for a while, make some hay while I can, and wait for the economy to improve back in Bethlehem, and then we'll all go home, and things will always be as they've always been. Elimelech's decision was a choice to compromise to forsake God, worship, statutes, and his obedience to him. And in verse 2 of chapter 1, it says he ends up, and it says he remains there. He and his family pay a price. They become living there in those fields of Moab, and they never, they never make it back home to Bethlehem. When Elimelech forsakes God and pursues pleasure, his family becomes sick and wastes away. And in the course of time, you know the story, Naomi experiences a triple bereavement. She loses her husband, she loses Malon, Kilian, and in her grief and in her emptiness without any support, God speaks into her life speaks into her mind. Naomi comes to her spiritual senses and she along with one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, makes the decision to finally go back to Bethlehem. The Bible says she leaves Bethlehem full and she returns empty. Thus, our text for this morning, read with me in Ruth chapter 2 at the very beginning, verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, 
Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And Naomi said to her, Ruth, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz and was the family who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. <clears throat> then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed to the ground, and said to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and, and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. For you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now, well, Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar, the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate until she was satisfied and kept some back. When she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Hey, let Ruth glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of, of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had, had been satisfied. And her mother, in other words, she had a, a doggy box, a take-home food that she even shared some of that with her. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today, and where did you work Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, this man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. 
Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our closest relatives. Ruth the Moabite has said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Pray with me just for a moment. Father, we pray and thank you first for your word, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would produce within us a mindset that is attentive and an ear that is ready to hear what your spirit might say to us about your faithfulness and your goodness to us today. Bless your word, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to propose to you that there is an unseen thread tying this entire story together, and that thread is the providence of God. What is God's providence? Providence contains two words that you and I easily recognize, provide, providence, provide. The Latin is provide. Pro, meaning forward, pro, forward, and vide means to see. In the Bible, the word for provide in the Old Testament carries both ideas of forward and to see. Pro, referring to God, God sees forward. God sees ahead of us. Vide means to see to, to see to. So in English, if your wife tells you as a husband to take care of this or to see to that, that means that you take care of it, hopefully. <laughs> you take care of it. You make sure it gets done, that it's taken care of. And so God's providence carries the idea, meaning that God foresees, God sees ahead of us, God sees what is ahead, and God sees too. He sees ahead, and he sees too. He takes care of. Do you, let me give you an example. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament of the book of Genesis when God tests Abraham and asks him to do the unthinkable thing uh, to offer his only son Isaac as a sacrifice, as an offering to him. Do you remember that story? And so the dad and the son traveled to Mount Moriah and they arrived there to worship, to offer a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord. And the Bible says that on the journey, as they go up Mount Moriah and they have the wood and they have the fire, and the lad says to his dad, we have the wood, we have the fire, but dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says what? God will provide. Literally, Abraham says to Isaac, 
God sees, my son. God sees. And you remember what God does? He provides a ram for the offering. And at the end of the story, they name the place there, God will provide, which could be translated, God sees too. He sees, and he sees too. That is God's providence. It's God's seeing everything in all of creation. He sees it all. He's in control of it all. And God sees to it. He upholds it all by the word of his power. He takes care of all of his creation. The same is true of us. The same is true of your life and of mine. God sees. He knows all things, the beginning as well as the end. And he sees too. He provides. That is the unifying thread through the book of Ruth. He think about this. He leads a, a afflicted Jewish and thoroughly her non-kosher daughter-in-law Ruth, and he takes them back to the fields of Bethlehem while simultaneously raising up a young man by the name of Boaz, who is introduced to us in the text. God in his providence sees. And is working behind the scenes in ways that none of them can see. Working ahead of them also in ways they cannot see. And God is in control, orchestrating all of this for his good, for their good, and for his glory. God's providence. That is his providence. He sees and sees too. Now let me clarify, that does not mean that God orchestrates sin. God doesn't cause sin. For example, when God gave Elimelech the freedom to make a sinful, a willful choice to move his family from worship fields to pagan fields, God sees. He sees it, but he didn't orchestrate it. He did not, the Bible says that God does not tempt us to sin, nor does God lead us into sin. God does not lead Elimelech into that sinful, willful choice. But in his providence, even in our sin, even in Elimelech's sin, God remains faithful. He remains faithful to see and to see too, to Naomi and to Ruth. And as we'll see, God manifests his providence of seeing and seeing too through the life of Boaz. Redeeming all things for his glory. The same is true in your life and mine. For those of us who love God, even when we sin and fail and fall short of his glory and reap sin's consequences, we are still able to trust in God's providence because of his grace. Amen. He still sees and sees to us. Romans 8, 28, you know that verse, for we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That verse rests on God's providence. It's applicable to those who are saved and who are love God, to those who've been called and to those who love him. And so the banner that's waving over the entire story of the book of Ruth is the providence of God. And so from the text, I want to go through some things and let us see God's providence. And first we see it, God's providence prevents Ruth from leaving Naomi. God's providence prevents Naomi from persuading Ruth to go back. 
Once Naomi pulls the trigger to return to her home, she's looking at a very bleak future. She perhaps sees Orpah and Ruth and them going back, or these two Moabite girls going back to the land of Beth. Perhaps she sees them as embarrassments. That her sons married these Moabite women and perhaps she persuades them to go back because she's afraid that people in the church are going to judge her. Amen. Amen. And perhaps she sees them as liabilities, as just additional mouths to feed. She's not sure she can feed her own mouth. Perhaps Orpah and Ruth would have been constant reminders to her of her loss and the mistake of leaving Bethlehem to begin with. Maybe in her mind she regrets not urging and resisting her husband's sinful decision, how she just or maybe perhaps passively went along with it as well. And so she urges these young Moabite girls, go back, go back. There's, there's no future here with me. In chapter 1, verse 8, she says to Ruth, go back with Orpah. Leave me alone in my guilt. Leave me alone in my bitterness against the Lord. This is all the Lord's fault. His hand has afflicted me and his misfortune is upon me. That's what she says. And so Orpah leaves. She goes back. Ruth is unswayed. She's committed. You remember verse 16 and 17? I'm going to stay with you no matter what. I'm, I'm in covenant with you. And where you go, I will go. And where you dwell, I will dwell. And your God will be my God's. And so she's committed to stay with Naomi. And then Naomi responds back to Ruth, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Ruth, I appreciate what you're saying. It all sounds so nice, but why would you be interested in a God like mine who has been so determined to get even with me for my sins and mistakes? Go home, Ruth, go home. But God, Ruth is not deterred. Despite Naomi's grief and despair, God is working in Ruth's life. He's seeing to her. You and I need to be reminded of God's providence. He sees us and sees to us. Naomi has her mind made up. She's convinced, I'm on the road back to Bethlehem. It's bleak. It's going to stay bleak. I'm living in despair. My future is going to be awful and sad. And she's worried and fearful. How am I ever going to make ends meet? You ever been there? And it's understandable how Naomi lost perspective. But God, in his providence, is working. He's working for Naomi's good. He's working for Ruth's good. And even though they can't see it, I wonder what is God doing in your life today during this particular season that you are going through? What is God doing in your life right now at this juncture that you don't understand? That you don't see? But in his providence, he sees and he's seen too. And he's working for his good and he's working for his glory. It's an issue of faith, isn't it? An issue of really knowing God and understanding his nature of mercy and goodness and grace and to keep trusting in who he is and remaining faithful during adversity. Well, how do you do that? 
Well, by reading your Bible. By reading your Bible with him pouring out his thoughts, making his thoughts your thoughts through the truth of his word. And I would also suggest it's helpful to surround yourself with others, brothers and sisters in Christ who you are close to, you with them and them with you. And you can encourage each other and share stories of faith. I want to invite you to pray and to think very seriously, really consider getting more connected to this church through a Sunday school class. I'd really encourage you to pray and think about that. God's providence is also seen years earlier. Think about God's providence in preparing Ruth to have a strong work ethic. Once this odd couple, this older Jewish widow and this this uh, odd Moabite girl, when they first go back to Bethlehem and they arrive there, what's the first order of business for them? <laughs> what are we going to eat? <laughs> That's some of your, what some of you are thinking about right now. And in verse 1 and 2, Ruth proposes to Naomi, I've got an idea. Let me go into the fields and glean and maybe I'll find favor, favor from the owner of the field and have a, have a good day's return. And so she volunteers to work. <laughs> now earlier in the law of God in Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24, God in his law made provision Landowners and farmers were required to leave the edges of their fields unharvested in order that the poor, those who were in need, those who were hungry were allowed to go and glean, picking up what was on the fringes and picking up the scraps that were still on the ground. Gleaning was hard work. It was hot work. It was perhaps unsafe, especially for a young foreign girl without any rights or without any protection. The general principle is that God prescribed a method, a means for people to work, for people to provide for their own needs. And, it was a, and it's a good thing because it's what provides personal dignity and self-worth. Doing what you and I are able to do, some are, some are more limited, and assuming they can find work, it makes me wonder about Ruth's background. What was her upbringing like? In the text, she demonstrates great initiative, a strong work ethic. She's not content to sit at home. And they had them in those days, televisions and game stuff. She's not sitting around all day and doing stuff like that. She wants to work. Where, where did she acquire that work ethic? Well, I want to propose it wasn't automatic. It's learned. In that culture, there were certain expectations upon men and women. They were clearly defined roles, roles that were learned, roles that were enforced. And the point is that Ruth was prepared to work. God kept her in Naomi's life, in his providence. And so just a word, parents, Encourage, do all that you can to instill a strong work ethic in your kids. It's not automatic. Start early with chores and responsibilities that are age appropriate. You're not doing them any favors if you don't teach them to work. They need to learn how to work. I was made to work when I was growing up and didn't like it. 
and worked inside. And first thing I can remember doing was standing up on a chair. And my sister washed dishes and I stood on a chair and she'd rinse them and put them in a drainer. And then I, my job was to dry dishes and put away. And I was so short I couldn't even reach the cabinets. So I stood on a chair, but I, I was the dryer. And then my dad made me work in the yard and helped him with rental of properties and repairing drywall and fixing leaks and worked in the yard and just was taught to work. Minnie and I taught our kids to work to work, responsibilities. I could tell stories about that. They don't always like doing those things. God designed Adam to work in the garden before the fall. fall. Work was not a result of the curse. It's not a result of sin. It was God's plan, part of his design to work. In his providence, somehow God prepared Ruth for work. Third, God in his providence provides for Naomi. What was God's provision for Naomi? Ruth. <laughs> His provision was Ruth, the one she wanted to get rid of, the one that she didn't want to stay with her. That was God's provision. He was at work. Little did Naomi know that she was going to be sustained by this young Moabite girl. I was curious when I read this text, you may have had the same thought. Why didn't Naomi volunteer to get up and go glean in the fields? <laughs> what was wrong with Naomi? She's probably in her 50s. There was still certainly something she could do in the fields, but she doesn't volunteer. And the only answer I could come up with, and this is just conjecture, but perhaps in her bitterness and her, in her pain, it led her to despair, and her despair paralyzed her. And I believe that's understandable, how we can become inactive, so sad, full of anger and bitterness and despair that we lose motivation to do much in life. And I would suggest that during those times, it's when we need to refocus on the cross and the gospel and to be reminded of God's good love towards us and to eliminate our doubts. Fourth, God's providence places, and this is, starts getting a little racy, starts getting a little fun here. God places Ruth in a certain field. Verse 3, she came to a place, to a field that belonged to who? Boaz. She didn't know Boaz. Naomi didn't know that Ruth was going to go out. And he, he may have been that long lost, forgotten nephew that they didn't even think anything about. You think that was coincidence? Lots of different fields. Is it possible that God, in his providence of seeing Ruth and Naomi and seeing to them, he led her steps to the field of Boaz? To a distant relative. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in luck for the believer. I just believe that things in my life and things in your life are working according to God's providence. He has a higher plan. God in his providence was working, orchestrating his plan to do something that Ruth and Naomi couldn't see. It would do us well to pause and instead of reacting to events and getting stressed out and anxious, we would do well to pause and to consider God and to consider his providence. God sees this. And God sees to me, seeing to it through this. What if God is working in this situation 
to ask ourselves, or, or was this just bad luck today that this happened? It's more an issue of faith in him and in his goodness and care. I don't believe for one second, I don't believe for one second that Mindy and I moving to Mississippi, leaving our home and our grandson being called here by God through you to serve here is happenstance or coincidence. I don't believe that. The first phone call with a member of the search team about another person According to God's providence, his divine providence led to a different course. God has provided for us in every way since we've lived here. Place to rent, it's been a good place, close, right across from Georgia's, it's been awesome. <laughs> God has provided a place for us to purchase and to buy and to redo, to provide us a permanent dwelling place. It's been a lot of, a lot of work, but... It's all because of God's providence, his providence. He sees, and he sees too. God was at work way out in front of us, and I want to propose God is at work in your life when you don't see it, when you don't recognize it. He's way out in front of you, and he sees to you. He's faithful. Fifth, God in his providence prospers Boaz. Look at verse 4. This this young guy enters the picture. The Bible says he's a man from Bethlehem. This is his home, and he's rich. He owns lots of fields, lots of land in it. He just so happens to be a distant relative of Naomi. And fourth, he's a nice guy. So why do you know he's a nice guy? Well, look at verses 4 and through 7. I want you to notice Boaz's first words that are listed in the text. They say something about him. He's a boss. He's a boss. He goes out in the fields in the mornings and he greets his servants and he says, think about this, he says to his employees as a boss, as a manager, the Lord be with you. And the workers all respond to the boss and may the Lord bless you. Does that communicate anything to you about Boaz? does me. It communicates to me that he's kind, that he respects and cares about his workers. And he, it also communicates that he wants to honor the Lord. He's very upfront. May the Lord, which is his Lord, may, may my Lord, may the Lord bless you. He's upfront. He's upfront with his God in the workplace. And he's kind. He, he greets the reapers and the gleaners. Are you friendly with people? Are you friendly? Are you kind towards people? Are you so focused on yourself and your agenda that you're grouchy and grumpy and critical and impatient with people? Have you ever said to someone that you met, may the Lord bless you? Why not if you haven't? Why would you not say something like that? May the Lord bless you today. It would set the tone of your relationship with people, and it would certainly set a good workplace tone in school, in the job, in the office, with coworkers, employees. You're the boss. Set the tone. And perhaps if we're not living the way we know we should be living, we're afraid to set the tone. Because we're afraid that it'll bring reproach upon Christ and the way we're living. 
My first boss at work, I was thinking about this, was an elderly lady named Eileen. Mindy remembers her. She was an older lady who managed the donut shop, and she was older, and she was a bit grumpy, a bit grumpy. That's being nice, and and so I followed my dad's advice. My first job was to clean the donut shop, the stock rooms, and the bathrooms. Starting in tenth grade, I did it seven days a week all through high school. Still played sports. My dad said, I want you to give you some advice. After you clean that stock room and after you clean those bathrooms and those, that kitchen area, you go to Eileen, your boss, and say, would you do me a favor? Ask her to come back and inspect what you've done. Ask her to give your opinion on how things look and if there was anything that she thinks looks to, needs to be done better, clean more thoroughly. And so I did that. And Eileen came back. I think her jaw dropped. She was shocked. And she went back. And I'll tell you what. She and I came real close buddies, so close. In fact, I worked there for several years, and when I got out of graduate high school on Thursday, I went to work for General Motors Truck Assembly Plant on Friday and worked all through the summer and the fall. So when the first oil embargo hit in 79, I got laid off, and I was back in the donut shop one day, and Eileen was in there, and we began to talk. She, I told her what happened. She went to the, went to the back, made a phone call to John Roop. And she fired John Roop on the phone, hired me back on the spot. <laughs> Found favor. Found favor. And I think, I, I think this, I, every place that I've ever worked, including every church, I think they would hire me back. Listen, be kind to people. Greet people. If you've never said to someone, may the Lord bless you, would you do that this week? Just try it. May the Lord bless you. Make it happen this week. You, God will use your greetings and your kindness to open doors for you for evangelism. I talked to a young lady this week. I was in a restaurant. The guy I was with left, and so I went up to the register, just she and I. I don't remember what I said. I don't remember much about the conversation, but she began to talk, and we began to talk, and She's a single mom, and she has three little kids, nine, six, and four, and she's working at that restaurant to help make ends meet. And I invited her to church. Do you have a church? And she said, no, I don't go, and I know I should. And I said, why don't you come and get your boys into, into church where they can start learning about Jesus? And she got a little emotional. And I invited her and told her what time church. I said, just being kind to people, just... Lord bless you, saying things, setting the tone. Would you do that? Would you try to make that happen this week? God in his providence leads Ruth to a nice, wealthy, caring bachelor who happens to be a distant relative. And then things start to get a little more racy, a little fun. Not in a, in, a, in a moral kind of way, but just a fun, attractive kind of way. Do you see it in the text? You just read through it and don't even notice what's happening. God's providence begins to pull Ruth and Boaz together. Boaz notices Ruth, this young woman. Evidently, she catches his eye and maybe he stares at her a little bit, you know. And goes to his foreman, who is this girl? In verse 6, Boaz begins gathering information about her. Finds out her name is Ruth, which means friendship. And, you, and you've heard of her, the foreman says. She's that young Moabite girl who came back with Naomi, her mother-in-law. And then in verse 7, the foreman tells 
Boaz, she's worked all day, morning till, till now. She has a great work ethic. She's, she's not stopped except once for a short break. She's polite. She's friendly. And Boaz thinks she's nice looking too. Boaz is curious. He's interested. And so he decides to meet her. And so he, he goes up to her in the fields. And she's out there gleaning, gleaning, picking up, putting in, into a basket, into a bag. And here she sees him coming across the field. And she certainly had to have some thoughts. And he says, hey, Ruth. Hey, Ruthie, I want to tell you something, Ruth. I think you should keep working here. I'm the owner. You're going to be safe here. I've already made provisions for your protection. And if you need a break, Ruth, if you're thirsty, these guys are on us. See, these guys over here, they work for me. They, I've already told them about you. They'll provide anything you need if you just ask. And He's conveying some things in there, and she's picking up on it. Verse 10, she recognizes his kindness, and she recognizes this guy's kind of being pre-forward and trying to maybe impress me, and, and he says things, and he's smiling, and he's using a kind voice when he's talking to her, and her response is really as friendly as well. She falls on her face, and she bows before Boaz, and in her softest kindest voice, maybe a little slow, southern draws, a southern Judah accent. She says, oh, Boaz, you're so kind. I'm just a little foreign girl. Why would you even notice me? That's what she said. And then verse 11 and 12, things get more interesting. Ruth, I know all about you. Smiling. I know about your loss. You lost your husband. I, I know about your mother-in-law. I know you're single. And, and I just pray. Now, this, this is a good touch, right? I just pray that the Lord blesses you, Ruth, and may you find refuge under the shelter of his wings. Doesn't that sound nice? And then Ruth, verse 13, oh, you've been so kind. I feel so comforted, Boaz, and, and, and I just feel so good right now. And, and then she says, I'm not like all these other girls. And then Boaz gets more bold, more gr- I'm not making any of this up. You read it and don't even pay attention to this. It's all right in the text. He gets more bold, more aggressive. He says, hey, Ruth, I got an idea. Are you hungry? Yeah. He said, why don't you have dinner with me? And, and look what they, they have an Italian meal in the text. They're having good bread, wine, and some roasted barley. And so they have this... This, this nice deal, I don't know what they did, where it was, but I, I could envision him making sure that his servants made it look nice, maybe some nice linen, some candles, and some wine, good, good Italian bread there, and they're there having this dinner together. And after dinner, Boaz makes sure that Ruth is well taken care of. Then he goes to his workers. He says, I want you guys to make sure you take care of her. Make sure that she has plenty to glean and the Bible says in verse 17, she acquires an ephah of grain. You say, well, how much is that? I didn't know either. It's about 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain, long enough for two people to live on for a long time. Do you think this interaction was coincidental? God's providence, he sees, and he's seen too. Working things out for Naomi's good and Ruth is good and even for Boaz. And notice in verse 19 how encouraged Naomi is when, when Ruth gets home and she shows her that ephah of grain and she sees all the grain, she's amazed, she's stunned. In verse 19 she says, well, tell me about your day. 
Blessed be the one who took notice of you. And then Ruth tells Naomi about Boaz. And, and Naomi's heart probably begins to race. Boaz, he's a relative. I forgot all about him. And her faith, Naomi's faith, begins to soften. God begins to work, and her faith starts to come to life. She says, well, blessed be the Lord. Sounds a lot different than what she was saying earlier, doesn't it? Blessed be the Lord. This Boaz is our relative, and she begins to recognize God's providence in her life. It's so easy to forget God's faithfulness. So easy to forget his providence. Finally, God prescribes in his providence the timing of all these events. While Naomi goes home empty in despair, there is a tiny silver lining. There's a ray of light. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 22 says, And Naomi and Ruth returned when? When did all of this happen? It just happened, happened to occur at the time of harvest, wheat harvest, barley harvest when there was going to be lots of gleaning. God's already at work ahead of them, providing for them in advance. He knows what Naomi and Ruth are going to need. I want to encourage you this morning in closing to think, to think of God's providence in your life. He sees, and he will see too. God's made provision for you already in Christ. And that while you and I were in our sins, lost without any hope, enemies with God, God did something to demonstrate his love towards us in Christ Jesus and sent him to a cross for our sins and laid all of our punishment that we deserved on Christ because he loves us, because of his providence. He sees and he's faithful to supply all of our needs according to his righteousness and glory through Christ Jesus. You know, Matthew 6, 3, but we are to seek him first and his righteousness and all of these other things. He'll see too. He'll see too that we're, they're all met. God is at work in you this morning. Young person, God's at work in your life. More than you may know, more than you may understand, more than you may realize, God is at work in you. God's providence, he sees you, and he'll see to you. He'll see to you. I want to invite you to pray with me, to trust him, to trust him today. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that you provide to us through the scripture. 